the rest of us, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. I figured the way things went with Daniel, I'd preach through the whole book of Joshua this morning. Maybe we'll settle for verse 7 of chapter 1. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Our Father, we turn our attention to you and your word. We pray that you would uh, open our hearts to understand this passage of Scripture. We pray that you will indeed grant us the grace of strength, of courage, and uh, faith to follow you. Father, would you care for our children as they are gathering in the the education portion of the building? Father, would you please use the message from the Sunday school classes today to bring them to yourself? And for those who already believe, O God, strengthen them in their faith, that their faith would not simply be a tradition learned by rote, but that it will be a real experience of you. For us, O God, Would your spirit move upon us and change us? For Jesus' sake. Amen. So 2021 theme has been heading home. And and I guess kind of technically this is the the last in that series uh, that I'll be uh, uh, preaching through this year. We started out by looking at heaven from Revelation 21 and 22 and some other passages. And um, and then we spent some time in Daniel because Daniel is, is really written to the, the church in exile and uh, how the church is to be building God's kingdom even while living in man's. And uh, then we had a just different sermon from Philippians 1 and then uh, concluding with Joshua 1.7 today. And, and I'll, I'll kind of explain that in, in just a moment. I do want to give a little bit of a, a suggestion about what we're going to do with Advent. Um, I'll be gone the next three Sundays. Uh, Chris Preter, uh, who's the uh, RUF minister at Millersville, will preach next week, and then Al, and then Daryl. So that'll be the, the next three Sundays, and then we start into Advent. And Advent, we're going to do a little bit different this year in that uh, it'll be slightly uh, not traditional. Advent is, is the idea of, of the coming of Christ. And ordinarily, what that means for us is we focus upon the, the birth of Jesus. And, and this time, we're going to focus maybe a little bit on the second coming of Christ, as far as what will heaven be like, and looking at, at the church which Christ has built. Uh, and so we'll be looking at uh, uh, the book of Revelation once again for that. Just a, a little uh, warning, or warm-up, however you want to look at that. So, so Joshua 1, um, and, and if you saw at the end of that, I, I think it's so important. Joshua 1.7, uh, God is talking to Moses, or to, to Joshua. And he says to Joshua, and he gives him clear instructions for the purpose of success, right? He says, you do this and you'll be successful wherever you go. As we think about Joshua's situation, he's taking over for Moses who has just died. Moses, that uh, quintessential leader of the church in the Old Covenant. And now Joshua has to take over. And he's got this incredible task as they've just led the people through the wilderness and they're up close to the edge of, of, of about to cross over the Jordan into the Promised Land. And, and then they're going to have to go through all the battles in order to uh, conquer the Promised Land. And uh, God is coming to Joshua and giving him clear instructions. Joshua, 
Here's how you build for success. These are the things that need to be a reality in your life. You need to build them in your life so that you will have success. When I think about that, I think that there's a, a, some similarities to the situation that we face as the church today. And that we as the church today are near the end of our journey as well, right? We're, we're nearer the end than, than uh, yesterday, and so we continue to move closer to that time in which, in which God is going to make all things uh, new, and, and it's all going to be completed, and we, we look for that, and, and yet we recognize that there are also a lot of battles that we've got to fight before it becomes an absolute reality. And so those are things that we have to face, and so we too need the instruction on how do we build for success as we're heading home. And that's what I'd like us to meditate on this morning. And there, there are three points that we'll draw from this um, that I've already, already prayed. And the first is we need to build strength. He starts out in verse 7. He says, only be strong. To be strong. Have you ever thought about what strength is? Isn't it an odd thing? It's, 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 it's that, that ability to accomplish something, Right? And so maybe it's just a little bit of strength that's necessary, and so there's enough strength. But, but it's that, that quality inside which enables, and I want to focus on that, ability enables us to accomplish something. As we're heading home in a sin-cursed world, where we're facing the terrible tag-team trio of the world, the flesh, and the devil that are opposing us at all times, we need strength in order to keep going, in order to keep moving, and we've got to build that strength. So let's consider how we might do that. And I think we build, build strength in that situation in, in many ways in exactly the same way we build strength in, in every area of our life. First thing we have to do is we have to exercise. We have to exercise. There's, there's an importance of physical exercise and, and recognizing what we're doing. That, that you can, whether it's a weight training that you might be utilizing in which you are, you are straining your muscles and causing them to, to go beyond their normal exertion for the purpose of them uh, breaking down and healing and, and enlarging in order to be able to bear more weight in the future. Or if you're running and you're seeking to build up that endurance by just running a little bit more and by running a little bit faster and beginning to, to build that into your life. Either way, the purpose of the exercise, typically the exercise isn't the goal, it's, it's the, the, the means to the goal, which is the increase of the physical strength that you might possess. It promotes growth of strength. Well, we begin to look at the, the exercise for the strength that uh, Joshua is encouraged to have. I think it's, it's more along the lines of what we read in First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul tells Timothy, For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The recognition that there is a, a discipline for godliness that we need to promote in our lives, an exercise of godliness. And what does that look like? Exercise, and I, and I want to really allow the, the image of physical exercise to carry over into the exercise for godliness. And as I think about what, what that would look like, the, the first thought is the, the first way in which we exercise for godliness is the exercise of prayer. Now, I think sometimes um, our prayer may be a little bit like if we're, we're training for a marathon by walking at a pace kind of like this. 
and now we need a donut. I need water now, right? It's not really going to build any type of endurance, but isn't that kind of, sort of, maybe a little like the way that we exercise our prayer lives? That we just kind of make it easy? We, we, the, the idea of working hard at prayer is kind of a foreign thought. What, what would that even look like? What does that mean? We, we, we sing songs like, sweet hour of prayer, and what we really mean is, you know, that's like a full year that we spent in prayer. Maybe it'll add up to an hour, right? A sweet hour of prayer. What does it mean for us to, to labor in prayer? To get ourselves to a place, as Jesus talks about, going into our closet, if you will. Getting into that place where, where we are alone with God, where all distractions are gone, and we just give Him our attention. And we plead with Him for His assistance in our life and in the life of those that we care about and in the work of His church to where it becomes an exercise. And we believe that we're actually meeting with him. Scripture is another area of, of that exercise for, for godliness. And again, it's, it's more than simply um, reading a, a chapter a day. Um, it's, it's, it's engaging with the Scripture. It's what Psalm 1 verse 2 says. It talks about the blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law... He meditates day and night. It's very easy to, to be able to read our chapter of the Bible in the morning, set it aside, and then go on our way and not give it another thought. But to discipline ourselves, to exercise for, for godliness, we need to be engaging in the Scripture throughout the day, allowing it to, to fill our mind. And that's a part of what even uh, God tells Joshua as far as his relationship with the law of Moses that it needs to be something that's just filling his mind at all times. Worship is another area. Again, worship is, is, is something that we can do. We can show up here each Sunday, and, uh, and, and we can engage in all the songs. We can close our eyes and pray when we pray. We can do the readings, and we can, we can listen. We can even take notes and fill in all the blanks and even get them all right. Uh, of course, that means I've got to say it right. But anyway, but, but we get all that down. And that doesn't mean that we've necessarily worshipped with God, right? Worshiping God means I've, I've got to be engaging in the environment in which, that has been provided by, by the uh, church here. So that it isn't that, oh, well, Patrick, worship, Patrick and Amanda worship by singing that song. No, 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 no. We're actually engaging in that song and making it our own and entering into thinking about what it would mean to be facing the storms of life and I've got to call out to God and even though I'm frightened in the midst of the storm, yet I remember that He loves me. And so I'm ready for the storm because I remember that He loves me. And as I engage in that and I make it an act of worship in this environment, now that's, that's the exercise. That's a lot of work, Pastor, right? <laughs> that's the point of exercise. And that's why we don't always do it because it's, it's hard. And, and the final is service. Service. God has made each one of us unique, each one of you unique. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us that, that uh, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Sorry, that's not in the... Uh, I, I just came up with that on the spot. So, um, if I don't, Chris might even put it in for second service because he does things like that. It's great. But regardless, it's, it's the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one of us has that spiritual gift. Each one of us has this unique way in which we reflect God. And God wants himself to be reflected through you. 
How can you do that within the context of, of this church? How can you utilize your gifts, your abilities, your values, yourself in such a way? Now, it isn't going to happen just by, again, going through the motions, but it's by putting yourself to the work of how can I honor and glorify God through the service that I offer to God. You see, the idea of exercise. If I'm going to be strong as God commanded Joshua, as God commands us, I've got to exercise. And then I've also got to endure. It's not just a matter of, oh, I'll exercise this week and then I'll uh, leave it off for the next six months, right? And I'll be okay. But physical endurance requires, or physical exercise requires endurance. Isn't that a part of the point of what you're doing in your physical exercise? Is you're trying to build endurance. That you want to be able to do this for longer, to be able to hold it longer. I, I don't remember who I was talking to. It might have been Robin. We were talking about simple things like, has anybody done planking as an exercise? Right? I mean... How hard is that? I mean, you're just on your elbows, right? And you're just sitting there, and right? It should be easy. Like seven seconds and I want to die. Right? How, how in the world does a human being do this? And yet, it, what does it take? It's just my bone. It's, I don't understand. But as you do it more, you're able to build that endurance so you can make it to nine seconds. That's my goal. If, if maybe, by God's grace, I might reach that at some point. But it's building that, that endurance. The word endure... Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, there's a Greek word that I, I love this word. It's one of the first Greek words that, that, that I learned, um, and, and it's so picturesque. It's, a, as many Greek words, it's a combination of, of two. It's hupo and meno. And hupo is not, uh, uh, it means to be below, and then meno means to remain. And so it's to remain, to remain under. Now think about that. So when you're planking, you're remaining under the pressure that gravity is putting on your body as it's pulling it toward the center of the earth. And you're remaining under that pressure and you learn to remain under longer and longer and longer. There's a couple different places in which this is, is used that I just want to draw your attention to see how the, the scripture tells us about this endurance. First is First Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. It's that idea of doing something right and then suffering, and then you patiently remain under that suffering. That you just stick with that. That you keep it up. I'm just going to continue to endure. That's the, the word that I want us to think of as we think of endurance. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 3, we have that beautiful picture. For consider him, our Lord Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And as we think about Jesus enduring hostility by sinners, we think, yeah, that was awful on the cross. Yeah, that was. But can you imagine what it was like for the true and the living God to walk among us, think, knowing all of our thoughts all the time? Being aware that as he walks past someone of their judgmental glance, and now to realize that he faces that every single day, and he continues to endure the wickedness of people, and he does so that he might be able to provide salvation. And so we... If we're going to have strength, they've got to remain under. To remain under. To endure trials. To be ready for the storm. 
knowing that it's going to come, knowing that it's going to to batter us, and knowing that we're going to stay put. We're not going to avoid it, and we're not going to quit, but we're going to remain under it. I ask you, what are the what are the pressures that you're facing? What are the, the hardships that have come in your life? Where is it that God is calling you to endure, to stay firm, to remain under? To look at those and realize it isn't just the remaining under that's the point, but I want to remain under that I might be strong, that I might build strength in my life. The second step is that I might build courage. Back in verse 7 of chapter 1 of Joshua, he says, Only be strong and very courageous. To be very courageous. What is courage? Courage means to bolster, and specifically the word that is used here is courageous, means to bolster, reinforce, establish, and strengthen. Isn't that interesting? Be strong and be strengthened is in essence kind of what he said, right? But, it, but we, as we think about uh, courageous, we, we see it as, as, as that, that which bolsters us up, right? Is courage. We've got a problem that we've got to face and, and, and there's danger in it. And how are we going to face that? Well, there's something that comes from inside that bolsters us, that reinforces us, that strengthens us, that establishes us so that we can move forward and we can face whatever that hardship might be. That's the, the courage that we need to, to build in our own lives. Um, uh, I was going to look at a couple different passages, but they, they're, they're really just saying the, the same thing that we, we have just looked at. Um, so I, I, I want to read a description from... Uh, uh, General Sherman, what he had to say uh, in his memoirs about courage. He says, All men naturally shrink from pain and danger and only incur their risk from some higher motive or from habit so that I would define true courage to be a perfect sensibility of the measure of danger and a mental willingness to incur it rather than that insensibility to danger of which I have heard far more than I have seen. I like that. He says, courage isn't so much that I don't even notice there's such a thing as, as danger. Courage is a matter of taking into account precisely what danger I'm facing and choosing with my will to face it anyway, because it is the right thing to do. I think it's a great picture of the idea of courage that we need to build in our life. And where there is no danger, there is no need for courage. Courage is only necessary where there is some level of danger. And so how do we, how do we find that? We find that by knowing and believing that God is with me. Have you ever noticed how a child who's afraid of the dark is less afraid of the dark when they have a friend with them? Isn't that interesting? I'm less afraid... When someone is with me. And yet I look at Joshua 1 and I look at verse 5. Right before God says, be courageous. In verse 5 he says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And then right after he says in verse 7 to be courageous, he says in verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
As David is running from his son, Absalom is seeking to kill him. He writes the 23rd Psalm. And he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. I don't fear evil as I go through the shadow, valley of the shadow of death because God is with me. Jesus, in Matthew 28, as He's getting ready to leave and He's, and he's giving the, the, the final instructions to His church through the apostles and He's telling them what they need to do. He begins by saying in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He reminds them first off, He says, you have a temptation to just see me as this guy who lived among you, but let you never forget that I have been granted by God all authority, absolute, complete, total authority in heaven, but also here upon this planet. And he concludes the Great Commission by saying, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As he's sending them out on the great task, knowing that they might be afraid. As God is sending Joshua out on the great task, knowing that he might be afraid. In both instances, God brings the message to his people, I am with you. You need not fear, because God is really, truly with you in whatever you face. And sometimes we may be tempted to be bothered that, well, yeah, but I don't see him. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus reminded us in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. You can't see him. But you know he's there, don't you? You know he's there because you know there are those moments in which he has convicted you of of sins that no one else has seen. And he's reminded you that that's unhealthy for you and destructive. And he's empowered you to bring about a change in your life, right? You know that He's there because you believe. When everything else is telling you you need not believe, when everything else is telling you why don't you walk away from God, when everything else is telling you that there is no hope, you have remained true to Him. Why? Because He is in you and He gives you that strength and that courage. He's not a passive player in your life, but He's active. The first step is to build strength. The second step is to build courage. And the third step is to build faith. I don't know how many times in my life I've I've heard the question asked when someone is going through a difficult time, what is God trying to teach me? And for years I would look at the individual situation, look at the individual trials, and i try to answer that. And, And in the most recent, probably decade of my life, I've become convinced that really it's an easy answer. Because there's only one thing he's ever trying to teach us. And it's the same thing all the time. Maybe that's an indication that we're not real bright. I don't know. But, 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 but what he's teaching is trust. Will you trust me, child? That's all. That's it. You know, maybe I've, I've been wronged by, by people that I care about and, and they've, they've slandered me and said awful things about me. And what is God trying to teach me? He says, will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to forgive him? Maybe I begin to come in contact with the way that I've done that to other people and it, it begins to hurt my heart and I begin to see that horrible uh, things that I've done. What's he teaching me? He says, will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to go and apologize and allow the full weight of your wrong to rest upon you? 
because I bore that sin for you? Will you trust me? That's all he's teaching us. Simple message. Simple. Not easy. Simple. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. It's faith that is necessary in order to please God. And faith resides in our will. Faith is not in our mind. Just because I know it to be true doesn't mean I believe it. I can say that sin is any want of conformity unto but trans- and tr- or transgression of the law of God, but that doesn't mean that I believe that. What it means to believe that is when I put that into practice. Um, I appreciate the way that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer deals with that in uh, his book, The, the Cost of Discipleship. Um, uh, the... the trying to think of the the name of the title uh, the title of the chapter i think it's the call to discipleship is just such a, a a powerful um chapter in this book and i would encourage you to to look at that at some point but bonhoeffer has this to say he he starts out with this this uh, adage and then he he begins to expound on it and he says first of all the adage is only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. And he says these, these two ideas go together and you must hold them both if you're going to see how this works out in reality. He says it is quite unbiblical to hold the first proposition without the second. We think we understand when we hear that obedience is possible only where there is faith. Does not obedience follow faith as good fruit grows on a good tree? First, faith, then obedience. If by that we mean that it is faith which justifies and not the act of obedience, all well and good, for that is the essential and unexceptionable presupposition of all that follows. If, however, we make a chronological distinction between faith and obedience and make obedience subsequent to faith, we're divorcing the one from the other, and then we get the practical question, well, when must obedience begin? Obedience remains separated from faith. From the point of view of justification, it is necessary thus to separate them, but we must never lose sight of their essential unity. For faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. This from a man, a minister of the gospel in Nazi Germany, who had to believe enough to involve himself in a plot to assassinate Hitler because of his recognition of the wickedness of the man and the horrible crimes he was committing. This is a man who lived this out and it cost him his life. But he knew that faith and obedience are interconnected. That you cannot separate them. So we see that in building faith, I've got to be diligent. Look at verse 7. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Be careful to do according to all the law. He is not saying, okay, Joshua, you're about ready to lead this people. You've got to earn your salvation now, buddy. Right? Of course not. He's an individual who's already been called by God. He's already been redeemed. He's been justified by Jesus Christ, even though he doesn't know Jesus' name yet, but it's retroactively applied to him. All that's a reality. He's saying, How, what do you need to do in order to be successful, Joshua? 
Not to be saved, but to be successful. You're going to have to be diligent. I think it's, it helps us a little bit if we understand a little bit about the moral law. And the law that he's talking about is the law that Moses gave, most common spoken of as the moral law. The moral law is not like a speed limit, right? A speed limit. On what ontological basis is 55 the magic number by which you can't travel faster in a highway through a metropolitan area? Right? What, what in the world makes that the number? Or, or, or 40, I think, out here on Church Road. Why, why 25? Right? There's, there's an element of arbitrariness, right? We, we kind of see that, well, that's probably a pretty good speed, and, and so the speed limit is put there. But, but we see that some level of arbitrary, and, and the purpose of it is, for the most part, to kind of to get people into some level of conformity, right? So that we, we know what we're going on. And, 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 and it's easy for us to think about the moral law in a similar fashion, that it's some sort of arbitrary rules that God has put out there in order to kind of control our behavior. What if the moral law is more like physical laws? You know, like, why did my chapstick fall that speed to the ground? Because of the physical laws of gravity, right? Combined with, you've got to take into account the physical laws, I I assume, of the effect that that the air is going to have as it's passing through the air, because I imagine it would would fall different in in a vacuum. Is that right? Some of you physics kind of people? I'm, I'm out of my depth here. Okay, good. I'm so happy when they nod. <laughs> um, but, but we've got all of that we have to begin to contend with. But, but it's there because it's, it's the way that God made his universe, right? He made the universe with certain, with certain physical laws that govern the way things work. But if God is a moral being, wouldn't he also put certain moral laws into the universe that are just as powerful and not arbitrary at all, but that in a world that is created by the God who is truth, lying is a sin. It's a violation of that moral law which God has given to us. So if we're going to be successful, ought we to follow the moral principles that he's put at play within this creation? And that's what God is saying to Joshua. You're about to lead my church, Joshua. You're about to lead my church into the promised land. You need to be careful to be diligent to uphold the laws which I've given you, the moral laws, and to walk according to them. And we too should allow the moral law, God's law, to guide us instead of simply assuming that it does. We simply assume that we wouldn't make a decision that's against God's law, right? Our our practice would kind of belie that, but nonetheless, we operate with that assumption. But instead, to go back and to examine my life on a daily basis and see, am I indeed following after God's law? Am I being careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, has commanded you? And then are we striving for consistency? He goes on to say, Oh, verse 7, yep. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Don't turn from the right or the left. When am I tempted to turn away from the path which God has given me? 
What am I tempted to say? Well, yeah, the law says but, right? When it's hard. That's when. When it's hard. I could see that, that wrestling that had to happen in, in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life. Can't you imagine? That moment in which he's realizing he's been offered the opportunity to come to the United States to be away from Germany during Hitler's uh, rise. He can come to the United States and he can teach at a seminary here in the United States. He was given the position. He even came here and he wrestled with the decision and he said, this is not right. He says, for my nation must be destroyed and how can I go back to help rebuild it if I've stayed away for it through the destruction? He says, no, I must go back. And that, that call, that, that, that moral standard that he was given led him back to his nation where he might very well be drafted and have to go fight for this evil regime. And he knew that. And he made the decision based on allowing the Word of God to guide his decisions. We too need to let the Scripture truly guide us and to not turn away when it's hard or to turn away when it's costly. Or maybe the more common is to turn away when it appears ineffective. Well, I know that's what God says to do, but that's not going to work, right? Maybe we're not quite so, so crass as that, but sometimes isn't that precisely what we say? I think it's a, a, a part of what we're struggling with as, as a, a denomination in, in many ways with the uh, issues that we're facing on human sexuality. Well, that, that's probably what the Bible says, but that's not going to work. That, that doesn't match these other things. And we have to be able to, to say, but that's exactly the time when I need to not turn from it to the right or to the left, but to remain consistent with the Word of God. Have you heard the story about the, the man that was, was talking with God and, and uh, wanted something great to do? And God said, okay, I want you to go out. You know that rock that's just outside? I want you to push on that rock. And so the man goes out and he starts pushing on that rock and he pushes all day long. And, and then he, he, he comes in exhausted. The next day he goes out and he pushes on that rock and he pushes on that rock and he pushes on that rock and he does it for about two weeks and finally says, Lord, I'm just tired of this. This is no good. That's not going to work. Why am I doing this? That rock is never going to move. And God said to him, I never asked you to move the rock. I just asked you to push on it. Sometimes God calls us not to the, the end that we assume. He simply is calling on us to be faithful, to do it because he's commanded it. Um, you've heard me talk about uh, Randy Steele in the past, right? A man that I respect tremendously, in my opinion, best preacher I've ever heard. Um, and uh, the, the Vons had him as a, a pastor, and uh, uh, so they, they understand a little of what I'm saying. First sermon I ever heard from Randy uh, was in 1987. I think it was the first week in January. And he was doing a series through the book of Joshua. And it was on this passage right here. I think it was Joshua 1, 6 through 9. But nonetheless, he was, he was preaching on this passage. And I'll never forget the, the title of that message. And that was, Faithfulness is Success. And I really appreciated that. And that has stuck with me. And he talked specifically about it in, in ministry and has applied this to those of us who are going into ministry that faithfulness is success. That's really the message that God gives to Joshua, isn't it? As he says to him, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left 
so that you may have success wherever you go. We're heading home. That's our goal. We want to aim at that. We want to move in that direction. And as we live our lives in this sin-cursed world, it's a challenge. It's hard. So we need to build in our lives for success in this journey. To do that, we need to build strength. To do that, we need to build courage. And to do that, we must build faith. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You. I thank You for this congregation, for their love for You. I thank You for this year as we have given our attention to that which lies before. As we've sought to wean our hearts from this world and all that it promises to seek a better kingdom, a better city, whose builder and architect is You. Father, I pray that You'll give us hearts that are bent towards You, that are bent toward heaven, that You'll give us eyes that are focused upon glory, and that You'll use us, O oh God, to finish that journey. Help us, O oh God, to build for success. In Jesus' name, Amen.